Okay, let's turn to John chapter 15. We're going to continue in our series, Cultivating a Culture of Prayer. And I just have to say this, that John 15, these verses in John 15 are really tender to me uh, personally. And so I'm just really looking forward to talking about this this morning. This is a, such a treat to be able to just work through this and uh, talk about what Jesus gave us as a, as a foundational element to prayer. John 15 is a critical passage. We've got to understand John 15 is a critical passage as it relates to cultivating a culture of prayer. And uh, you could read through John 15 and maybe come out of it not, not even recognizing it as a prayer passage, but it is an essential prayer passage. In some senses, to me, it's, the, it's one of the most foundational ones. And uh, as, we, as we lean in to John 15 a bit, it will shift your paradigm and I, I would just have to say that uh, as I've continued to look at John 15, I, I recognize that much of what I've actually taught in past days and, and believed, John 15 actually is it's the opposite. It actually gives us a path that's different than our normal, what our, sort of our normal mentality of, of how to have a relationship with the Lord. And so... Uh, Let's just do this. Let's just read through the first nine verses. That's all we're going to cover is are the first nine verses. And uh, let's just read through them, and then we will just begin to work through it a bit. So verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. And verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And these verses are just, as I said, they're just critical to what we're talking about. Cultivating a culture of prayer. Now, as, a, as we just read through it right there, it, it, it probably becomes evident to you. The word that's used the most there is abide. Jesus uses that word abide eight times. In the span of five verses, from verse 4 to 9, he uses abide eight times. And that, that word abide, it's just a simple little Greek word, meno. And it just means this, stay, remain. I just love that word, stay with me, stay with me. 
I, this, there's, this passage is so tender from the heart of God. We, we get to see God's great desire for relationship. And, and that's, that's got to be the foundational idea that we work from when we're talking about prayer or a culture of prayer. That God wants real relationship with you. He wants you to stay. Stay. To abide. And uh, I think what, what, where we've been, uh, I'm just talking about in the church, church in general, where I thought about for a long time, is uh, kind of some of the points we mentioned last week, that we've thought about prayer as an event, or prayer as something you do, something you go to, even a quiet time. You know, you have your time of prayer uh, in a day. But we haven't particularly thought of prayer as something that is continual. And we haven't thought about our relationship with the Lord. Uh, I think we've thought about ourselves as saved, but we haven't necessarily considered what it means to stay with him relationally. And, uh, and so I think that this has the, the potential to change our paradigms. The Lord is looking for continuous fellowship. And that is such an incredibly important point. He's looking for continual fellowship with you. He wants interaction and intercourse with you all day long. He wants to talk. He wants to to move you. He wants you to move him. He wants there to be time where you're flowing back and forth all day throughout the day. A continuous connection. And our, our standard paradigm of how we tell people how we have taught people to grow in Christ is we say you got to read your Bible and you got to pray. And a lot of times what we'll say is read five chapters a day and pray 30 minutes. Kind of like a little prescription, a little box that you check. But my point becomes this, that that concept of simply reading and then praying and you check the box and now you're on a growth path. If, we, if, if that's all we do, that concept is, is opposite of what Jesus teaches in John 15. Now, hear me clearly. I am not against having a focused time of prayer and reading the Word. Everybody needs to have focused times daily where you're in the Word and where you're praying. But it's not just the time where you fill up and then go do the rest of your day. The focused time, quiet times with the Lord, whatever you want to call it, devotional times, those should be in addition to this continual reality of fellowship that you're living. And if we could actually get the church to to abide rather than visit, things would radically change. A quiet time is a visit. Abiding is continuous. Jesus never called us to visit. He called us to have a continuous relationship with him. And that's what John 15 gives us. And so uh, he never taught quiet times. It's an amazing thought. Jesus never taught that. He taught this other thing, abiding, abiding. Now, I got so stirred up on these prayer quotes last week. I just wanted to read the ones that I finished with because they talk about abiding. I just want to read through. Three quotes, and then what we'll do is we'll just work through these verses that I said, they're, they're, they're really, they're so important to me. I hope, I hope they'll become important to you. 
But uh, let's read a few quotes and then we'll, get, we'll go line by line. So uh, Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of, uh, of Christ, we, we know he's like the... Brother Lawrence, when I think of somebody who abides with Jesus, who, who abided with Jesus, Brother Lawrence is the guy. He's the guy. If you want to read an abiding practice of the presence of Jesus Christ, that's it. That's an abiding book. Brother Lawrence. So here's the quote. There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. There's not a life that's more sweet or delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. And that's how we are to live. And and Brother Lawrence, he talked about in his book how he would go, you know, this would be his aim, to continually be uh, fellowshipping and and communing with the Lord. And, and, you know, he would go long periods of time where he was, and then there would be long periods of time where he realized he had disconnected. And and it was his his continual desire to, to stay connected with the Lord all day, every day. I mean, that's just a, what a, that's a great target to shoot for. We lean towards that. He goes, this is the best kind of life there is. All right, Andrew Murray. If the spiritual life be healthy, under the full power of the Holy Spirit, praying without ceasing will be natural. Natural. In other words, he says, a healthy, spirit-empowered life causes prayer without ceasing to be the normal thing. I love that. And then Charles Spurgeon, if you want that splendid power in prayer, you must remain, remain in loving, living, lasting, conscious, practical, abiding union with the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. That's those... Loving, living, lasting, conscious, practical, abiding union. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. (laughs) I'm real excited about this, John 15. Just get a little excited with me, just a little bit. All right. All right, let's look at these things. (laughs) Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I love this. So true vine. Why does Jesus say true vine? Immediately I thought, well, it's because there was a lot of false teachers, apostles, things like that. And and that's not actually the point. The point is, Israel was full of vines. Grape vines and, and all sorts of vines everywhere. And so you and you can almost get the picture of Jesus going, see all these vines? See how they, how they work? I am the true vine. He goes, get the hint from how I created everything and how these vines work with branches and fruit and understand that that is a picture of me. Jesus Christ, the true vine. I love that. I love that. He is the vine. He's the true vine. He's the real one. All, when we see grapes and things that grow on vines, what we're seeing is just a, a, an image of Jesus. And the Lord, he embroiders testimonies of himself through, through creation all the time. And so that's what he's pointing to. He says, this vine situation that you see everywhere, he goes, it's me. It's a picture of me. I am the true vine. And then he says this, and my father is the vine dresser. And that, that seems a little strange. 
God as a gardener. But uh, it, it actually, there's several points about that that are really remarkable. One is this, that the vine, a vine doesn't tend itself. Only God, only the, only the vine dresser can tend the vine. And so as a, as, a, as a grapevine doesn't tend itself, neither do you and I tend ourselves. God tends to us. And when you think about your life, this is the point. When you think about your life, you think about the different seasons in your life. You think about times when you've had amazing fruitfulness and then times when you've had amazing, what would seem like fruitlessness. I want to tell you something. There's intentional stuff going on because the father is the vine dresser. He's paying attention to you as a branch and he's looking at your life and he's considering the fruitfulness and the fruitlessness seasons and he is working in you that you would bear fruit. The father has his eye on you all the time. Just like that, that tender gardener. Anybody got a green thumb in here? Just, yeah. So you guys all talk to your plants. That's the picture you need to get. The father going through the vineyard, talking to the plants. How are you doing over there? Oh, looking like, oh, this, this one. Look at all these Look at all this fruit. I'm going to have to take care of that. That's great. Oh, this, this, this branch. Oh, I'm having a little hard time right now. We have to work on that one too. He is that tender vine dresser. And so here's the point. Jesus goes, I'm the true vine. The father's the vine dresser. And we get to see this picture of the God's the only one who can tend the vine. So we get to see him exalted. And then we get to see him Totally condescending and in the sense that he's come down to actually be a gardener. What does that say about God that he calls himself a gardener? I just... <laughs> Do you understand? He knows, he knows what he got when he got you. He knew what he was getting into with you. He goes, I know I'm going to have to weed the garden. And I'm going to have to prune this thing. There's sometimes I'm going to have to really work on the branches to deal with. He goes, I know what I'm into. He goes, I don't mind. I'm a gardener. Thought about God, the gardener, working with your life. That's so, that's so tender to me. Because so many times, you know, we kind of get this like a little bit of a humanistic view and we think we're just us and we're doing our best to serve God and he's so distant. Why doesn't he move? He goes, you don't understand. I am tending to you all the time. I'm looking after my branches all the time. I'm tending the vine all the time. I am the vine dresser. I'm in charge of the fruit that comes off of you. I'm looking after you. So Jesus, every grape you've ever seen is a picture of you and Jesus. Come on now. He goes, I'm the true vine. All these other little vines, that's all pictures of me. That's what he's saying. 
He goes, and the father, every gardener you've ever seen. He goes, that's what I'm like. Always tending to you. Always looking after you. So then, Jesus, in verse 2, he gives us some understanding about how does this process work? How does, the, how does the father who's the vine dresser, how does he do this vine dressing? Now look at these, these phrases. Every one of them is loaded. Every one of them is loaded. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I just want to say this. I think that most of the time, actually, I'll just say it this way. Most of the commentators I've read on this verse, I, I don't agree with. And the reason why is that that phrase, uh, when he says, the branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, in my Bible, and, and, and probably many of you, there's a little asterisk. And if you look down in the margin or whatever, it will say, he lifts up. Anybody got that in their Bible? Where it says he lifts it up? Yeah, several. That word, lifts up, the word that's translated there, takes away or lifts up, I think as it relates to the context here, it's clear that what's happening, the vine dressing that's going on, is not when he takes the branch away, but he actually is doing something different. I'm going to explain that. Now, here's the thing. How does the vine dressing take place? Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. Now, we're talking about branches that are in the vine, in the true vine. You got the vine, Jesus. You got the branches connected. He goes, all the branches that are not bearing fruit, the vine dresser is going to do something to them. He's going to lift them up. And here's the deal. What that is, it's like when you've got a plant and you got certain branches that are bountiful, but certain branches, maybe they're not getting the right sunlight or they're not getting the right, you know, kind of nutrients or the water or whatever. And you, what you do is you take those branches and you reposition them. Maybe you even, you know, move them around. You put a little uh, stick up there and, you, and you, you tie that branch to that stick so it doesn't, it doesn't get choked out. It's in a, and so what you see is this, this fruitless branch that gets extra attention from the vine dresser. And here's the deal. When you're in a dry season, when you're in a season where uh, you're not feeling him, you're not seeing him, the, the enemy tends to lie to us and say, see, God's left you. And what we don't understand is, no, he hasn't left you. He's actually paying more attention to you. Because when you're in what you think of as a fruitless season, he goes, that little branch that's in that, he's in the vine. He goes, every branch in me. In a minute, we're going to talk about branches that don't end up in him. But here, we're talking about every branch in him. He goes, when they're not bearing fruit, he goes, the father pays really close attention. The father comes near, and the father lifts that branch up he, 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 he moves it away. That's the idea. He moves it away from the others so that he can pay special attention to it. And then that is where it begins to get fruitful. It comes through the season of fruitlessness. 
into fruitfulness. I think that's so powerful. The ones that aren't bearing fruit, the Father's paying attention to. That's just incredibly tender. And and he tends to those so that they will bear fruit. Now here's the thing. On, On the other side, you got every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Listen, every season of your life that is, that is a productive, every fruitful season ends with pruning. Now, you've got to get this point. Every fruitful season ends with pruning. You can't just let the grapes grow and grow and grow and grow. What happens if you don't take the fruit off the vine? It rots. And so the father goes, oh, sweet branch, look at you. You're biting. You're biting in the vine. Oh, you're bearing fruit. So good. Cut. And the branch goes, hey. That hurt. He goes, oh, it's so great. You're going to bear more fruit now. And so often, here's our life. We're seeking God. We're serving the Lord. We're abiding in God. We're bearing fruit. Things so good. And something happens. It's like, what? I don't have any. There's no fruit. There's nothing going on. It's all just flat. And we're trying to figure out what just happened to me. You just got pruned. Pruning is a good thing. Beloved, every productive season, every productive season will come to an end with pruning. You got to get that point. There's a natural ebb and flow of the way things grow. You don't just grow and more fruit, 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 fruit. You get fruit, you get pruned. You get fruit, you get pruned. You get fruit, you get pruned. This is the way the Lord does it. You know what it ultimately does? It makes you more fruitful, and in the process, it keeps you nice and humble. Oh, man, I am... I'm preaching way better than y'all are amen right now. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I look at my own life and I just go, man, there were some really painful pruning seasons. And, and you know why? Because I was so into my fruit. The fruit is for him, not for me. Come on. We produce a few things in God. We go, man, look at all these grapes. He goes, thank you so much. We go, what? He is the vine dresser. The fruit is for him. He will end every productive season with pruning, not to just beat you down, but to make you more productive. And that's what he says. He goes, I'm going to prune every fruitful branch that it would bear more fruit. These are seasons of life. Think about how a vine produces fruit. It produces in seasons. Some seasons are fruitful. Some seasons are fruitless. Every fruitless season ends with production because he 
tends to you. Every fruitful season ends with pruning because he clips you. And so it's abiding, tending, produce, and pruning. Abiding, tending, produce, and pruning. These are the ways that you will flow throughout your life in your relationship with the Lord. Abiding, God will tend to you. You'll produce, and he will prune you. And when things aren't happening, when things are fruitless, he will pay attention to you. He will lift you up. Some of you, you don't even know why. I want you, I want to, I want you to hear this a word for you. Some of you don't even know why. You just feel so isolated. And the Lord, some of, sometimes that's bad, but sometimes the Lord will put you in a season where you're alone because he's tending to you. Now, the scripture talks about a man who isolates himself and how that's not a good thing. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about seasons where God divinely hedges someone in. He divinely surrounds them because he's tending to them and, and oftentimes it looks like nothing's happening. And through that season, he's bringing them to a place of fruitfulness. Jesus, the true vine, the father, the vine dresser, you, the branch, you're going to go through times of fruitfulness, fruitlessness, pruning, and produce. That's how it rolls. You got to love the process. So you got to love the process. So often we get so hung up on our own fruit that when the Lord brings the pruning, we're offended with God. I looked so good at all that fruit. What if a, what if a vine, what if a, a branch on a vine said that? What are you doing? Give me my grapes back. I mean, that would be so weird. The fruit's for him. The fruit's for him. And the worst thing you can do is when somebody has been pruned, is to tell them it was the devil. So often we see people surging in God, and then we see them kind of static. And, they get, and, and, and so often, you get the armchair, spiritualized, whatever, and they come in, they go, you know what? The devil's attacking you. That's why you're, well, you know what? The Lord actually said, I will cut the fruit off. To, to see that you become more fruitful. There are seasons it gets cut off. And then the other thing we do that's just horrifying is you have a totally person, person who's totally abiding in God, they become very fruitful, they get pruned, and we go, they must be in sin. Because we don't understand the ways of the Lord. We don't understand his ways. That's how God does. One minute the guy's looking like he's up, the next minute he's looking like he's down. It doesn't matter, up or down. Paul said, I can abase and I can abound. It doesn't matter. I do all things through Christ. That's how I live. Verse three. This little verse has always puzzled me. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. I go, so how does that work for me? Like, I'm already, cl- like, Really? And, and the best way that I can give you that is this. He's talking, firstly, to his group of 12 guys. He goes, hey guys, here's the process of life. 
Produce and pruning, produce and pruning, produce and pruning. You know what? I've been pruning you continuously for three and a half years. When you see pruning and you see that word clean, that's the same idea. Cleansed in verse, or cleansed in verse three is pruning in verse two. The, the, the fruit has been cleaned off, pruned off. And it's interesting to me, he says, when the fruit has been clipped, that's a place where you're clean. That's interesting. But you've got 12 men that have walked with Jesus who have been continually had, you know, pruned. They've had moments of blessing, moments of fruit, and moments of pruning. Up, down, up, down. Positive and prune, positive and prune. And he goes, you guys have been through the ringer these last three and a half years. I've been pruning you continuously. That doesn't take away the process through their lives. He goes, this is just how I've been doing you. You've already, you could say this, you've already been pruned because of the word that I'm speaking to you. And you know that's how it's been for your life. There's been seasons where the Lord highlights a verse or a message and it just cuts you. And it just, it just prunes you. Verse four. Verse four hit me like a bomb this week when I was meditating on it. And I'll tell you why. Let's read it. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, here's what I've done historically with this verse. He goes, abide in me and I in you. And what I have done in my mind is I go, abide in me equals Jesus in me. Abide in me equals, equals the next phrase, I in you. But that's not what he's saying. He's giving us two distinct things. He's giving us abide in him and him abiding in us. Can you see that? Abide in him, he goes, and I abiding in you. And all of a sudden I started realizing there's a lot more going on and that, those two little phrases, abide in me and I in you, than I've ever thought. Because what I've always done is said, abide in me equals me meditating on Christ dwelling in me. But abide in me or me abiding in him is different than him abiding in me. Does that make sense? There's two really, really important chapters that you can read where Paul goes, he just goes off on this whole idea of who we are in him, in Jesus. Ephesians 1 and Colossians 2. Ephesians 1 and Colossians 2, Paul says over and over and over, in him, in him, in him. And these, these realities of what it means for us to be in him. And I want to propose this. Just as we understand that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in us by his spirit, Jesus is introducing this idea. Yes, we're a part of the mystical body of Christ. We're all a part of the body of Christ. But he's introducing this idea that he will be in us by his spirit, but also we will be in him. Now that is a huge point. Because that means this, that whenever I walk into the room, 
I'm walking in there in him. I'm walking into the room in him. That's what the scripture says. It says, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. In him. I am in him. Just say that. Say, I am in him. You're in him. You're in him. He's in you. You're in him. And he's in you. You're in him. I might just say this the rest of the time. And he's in you. This feels good. You're in him. You're in him. You're in him. You're in him. It's hard to be in despair when you're in him. Right? It's, it's, it's hard to stay in confusion when you're in him. Do you see my point? The, the reality of being in him, it changes everything. I, there's no way that I could rightly believe that things are not going to work if I realize I'm in him. I'm in him. Is he going down? No. Well, guess what? I'm not either. Why? Because I'm in him. I'm in him. In him, I live. You want life? You want revelation? You're in him. And John 1 verse 4, it says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Guess what? You are in him, in life, and in light. That Acts 17, in him you live. In him you have your being. Another way to say it is this. There is no life outside of him. It's all in him. In him. Colossians 2, 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And that's the the simple idea of me walking around my life in him. That simple thought, it's doing something to me. Because I've meditated a lot on me having the Holy Spirit in me. And that's still, I mean, come on, that's over the top. The uncreated God that... That, you know, infinity is inside of him. <laughs> I mean, he's inside of me. Like, that one will just, you know, melt you down. But on the other side, I'm going, wait a minute. He's putting it together. He's putting them right next to each other. He's saying, I in you and you in me. So just as he's in me, I'm in him. Somehow, I'm carried in Christ. Oh, Beloved. He goes, abide in me, stay in me, remain in me. He goes, stay. Man, I like that. I I walked around the prayer room for about an hour going, I'm in him. I'm in him. I'm in him. I'm in him. Unbelievable. I am in him. I'm in him. So he goes, what does that mean practically? I don't know, but I like it. This is good. 
It's better than not being in him. I'm in there. You ever lost? Just go, I'm in him. Where are you? I don't know. In Jesus. Somewhere. I'm in him. I'm in him. You need to meditate on that. What does that mean to be carried in the heart of God? What does that mean? Paul, all, it says, uh, all the promises are yes and amen. Where? In him. I was like, woo, that's a prayer verse. You realize you're in him, then all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Man, that's powerful. And then it, this is where it goes. See, this is, this is the power of it. It changes your emotional makeup when you comprehend you're in him. 1 John 2.28 says, Now, little children, abide in him. John, in his epistle, is referencing his gospel. Now, little children, abide in him, because it changes your chemistry is the idea, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Because you stay in him, you continue to abide in him, and confidence, it's birthed in your heart, even to this, that you'll even be confident in front of God. Come on. You lack confidence. I want to encourage you to meditate on what it means to be in Jesus, to be in him. Abide in him that when he appears, you will have confidence even before him when he comes. Oh, beloved. I love these verses. Abide in me and I in you. And then Jesus, we're still in verse four. And then Jesus just gives it to us. He goes, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Beloved, this is the bottom line of fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. It only comes through abiding in him. Abiding in him and the revelation of him abiding in you. And this is why I say nothing of kingdom value has ever been born that wasn't born in prayer. Because you cannot bear fruit unless the fruit comes from abiding in him. And here's the thing. We imagined, follow me, our entrepreneurial American mentalities imagine that the key to fruitfulness is doing a bunch of stuff and getting something done. And he goes, no, I, I got a key for you. He goes, the key to fruitfulness is abide in me. Think about this for a minute. When you see a branch that's bearing fruit, does that branch have to like work really hard? Strive to get the nutrients out of the vine? No? Did did you ever walk up to a, a vegetable plant? And it was shaking, trying to produce a tomato. Anybody? No. 
He's giving us the principle, beloved, that when you abide continuously in him and he is flowing in you and you are continuously remaining in fellowship with him, that fruit happens. Somebody needs to make that a t-shirt. Fruit happens. Fruit happens. Because you're drawing off of the fruitful one. You're drawing off the true vine, the one who has all life, all light, all power, all authority, all ability, all grace. You're drawing off him. If you stay drawing off Jesus, fruit happens. Fruit happens. I've never seen a plant forcing the fruit out. But here's us, striving, sweating, trying, doing all this, running around in circles, trying to prove that we're lovely to God, trying to prove that we're worthy, trying to get a story for the newsletter, trying to do something. Working our brains out, striving to death. Building all sorts of stuff. But whatever is of kingdom value has never been birthed unless it was birthed through prayer, born through abiding. Now, listen, I'm not against work. I'm a very strategic leader. I'm a linear thinker. I'm a builder. I don't mind working at all. I've done quite a bit of work in my life. But the work is as a result of abiding It's from the place of abiding that strategies come. If you're a leader and and you get all your strategies and you haven't abided, don't do your strategy. Here's why. It's a bad idea, but it's going to work. It doesn't matter if it works in a human sense. If you didn't get it from abiding in the vine, it's of no kingdom value. Listen to me. There are going to be people who show up at the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to have all sorts of stuff they've built their whole life. They're going to have monuments made out of wood, hay, and stubble. And there's going to be a little guy, and he's going to show up, and he's going to have a rock in his hand. And we see this guy with a skyscraper of wood, hay, and stubble. We might even know his name. We might even recognize him. The Lord goes, ah, it's a beautiful skyscraper. Here, let's just see what happens when I put a little fire on it. Woo. Wow. That's a good try. Pile of ash. It's okay. And then the little guy that nobody knows is going to show up with a rock. And then he goes, okay, let's put the fire on that. Oh, yeah, beautiful gold. Only what's born through abiding is of kingdom value. Only what's born through abiding is of kingdom value. If it hasn't been born through prayer, it's not going to stand. You got to get that. One of the hardest things and best things that I have to do as a leader is when the pressure's on and I want to make a decision and man, you know, there's all these deadlines and people are looking and counting and what are they going to think? The, the hardest and man, it's one of the best things I do is wait. 
wait. I just wait. I go, God, what are you, what, what is going on? You just trust in me with all your heart. Be not your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways. I'll direct you. We are so human results oriented that we've almost thrown this concept that I'm giving you that Jesus laid out, we've almost thrown it out completely. We, we like get her done. Instead of wait on the Lord, renew your strength. Abide and bear fruit. And amen. That, that concept, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. All the fruit comes from abiding in him. All of it. All of it. Somehow in our humanistic Western mentality, we think we've done a thing for God without abiding in him. No, all of it that matters comes from abiding in him. Can I tell you guys, can you guys bear with the story right now? I've got five more verses, but you gotta hear the story. So I I come out of a successful uh, ministry and I move to Kansas City because I'm gonna start a house of prayer. I'm gonna go there for a year and I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, learn the method, the model, how to do IHOP, and I'm going to bring it back and do it in Atlanta. And so I show up, and uh, they, they say, okay, you're going to have these leadership meetings you're going to be in. You're going to do this and this and this in the back room leadership meetings, and we want you to go through the introduction program. And I kind of went, well, here's what I did, honestly. This is an ugly story, I'll just be honest. I go, oh, okay, praise the Lord. And inside I'm going, introduction program? They don't must not know I've been in the ministry for 13 years. <clears throat> Show up at the introduction program. I'm saying this to 18, 19-year-olds. I'm thinking, what am I doing in this room? This is the wrong room. It was the right room. And so I, you know, I'm going through these classes and this, you know, this little internship. I'm thinking, I've directed an internship multiple years. I've run ministry. I, what am I doing? And, uh, and it was the, and all the while I'm, I'm in other leadership circles. <laughs> it was the, the uh, manner of the, uh, of the way that they ran the intro program was that all the new interns were that they were the workforce for the conference ministry. And so uh, they had the guy come and he says, hey, we're going to sign you guys up to work in the conference ministry. And I'm thinking, this is ugly. I go, well, I'll just do altar ministry. You know, at least I could lay hands on somebody and they could get touched. I mean, Received from the anointing, you know, and they go, oh, yeah, all the altar ministry slots are full. And I thought, well, bookstore, maybe I could just get somebody on the side in the bookstore. I just, you know, you want to receive this book, receive this anointing, you know, I just get them real fast. And uh, I go, no, we don't actually need any workers in the bookstore. I go, okay, well, where do you need them? He said, well, we need them in the parking lot. I went, okay. And inside, I was praying, you know, because I know the right things to say. I'm not dumb enough to, like, act mad about it. I go, praise God. 
And inside I'm going, what the heck, parking lot? And so a few, you know, a few days go by, and I'm in, I'm in the backyard uh, of our apartment doing some work, and, and, and the Lord speaks to my heart. Because I'm saying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm just going, Lord, I don't know if I can do this whole thing, house of prayer, I don't understand. They've got a whole language, bridal paradigm, end time, whatever, forerun, what is the, I don't know what I'm doing here. And, and I'm, just, I'm just kind of like, I, I don't know what I've gotten into. And, and the Lord goes, son, you need grace. And I thought to myself, man, I do. I really need some grace. Because I don't even think I can do this thing. And, I, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, yeah, I need grace. How do you get grace? I, I, could, I could really use serious grace right now. And, and the verses aren't coming to my mind, God gives grace to the humble. I'm just sitting there going, yeah, God, give me grace. I really need it. I need some grace. He goes, you know, and, and, and it just, you know, moves on. And so the day comes when I've got to work in the parking lot and I show up and it's me and an 18-year-old guy. And, uh, and there's, there's two spots, and one guy's got to stand out by the side of the road with an re- orange vest on and a wand, and the other guy gets to drive the van. So I show up, and uh, the guy that's leading the parking lot, he's like, a, he's, like a, he's like a real Christian. He's like godly, servant-hearted, loves Jesus, loves to serve, overjoyed that he's in the parking lot, me and an 18-year-old. And... Uh, so I, I, I was there just a minute or two late, and, and I said, so what, what do I do? He goes, I, I was going to have you drive the van, but old buddy over there, little 18-year-old guy, he's going to drive the van. He goes, I need you to put this vest on and go stand by the road. So I put on the orange vest, get the wand, and I walk out to the road. And I am sitting there, and I'm grumbling. I'm going, Lord, what am I doing out here? I, I could be preaching at that. I preached at conferences bigger than that. What in the world is this? And I'm sitting there and I'm, wa- I'm wearing the orange vest and I'm waving people in and I'm going, what in the world am I doing? And I said, Lord, what if somebody sees me? I know this is ugly. This is just real. This is reality TV. You're not going to get this from most preachers. I go, what if somebody sees me? And the Lord goes, what if somebody sees you? I went, oh, no. Because I was like, you're setting me up. And then I realized the Lord was inviting me to humility. And I stood there for a minute and he goes, would it be okay if somebody saw you? I went, oh, okay. Okay, and, I, and I'm waving people in, and I'm just kind of doing it, you know. And, uh, and the Lord brings back the conversation. He goes, remember I told you you need grace. He goes, son, I give grace to the humble. Man, I feel the Lord come on me. I go, you're trying to get me some grace. You're trying to get me to humble myself. Oh, my goodness. This, yeah. Yeah, I can, do, I can wave. I'm out there, I start dancing, praying. I was going, yeah, I was praising the Lord on the street. I start waving people in the parking lot so firmly. I'm going, come on down, park over here. People start turning in that don't even want to come to the conference. I was, yeah, God gives grace to the humble. And uh, so I do that for a while and I go in the conference Man, I'm in the door five minutes. 
I'm standing there, I'm trying to worship the Lord, and this guy I don't know comes over to me, he goes, stands right next to me, kind of looks at me like that, I go, hey bro, he goes, you're that youth pastor guy from that church, aren't you? I went, uh-huh, he goes, I saw you outside in the parking lot, that's awesome. I'm thinking, oh no, it begins. And it literally was, I mean, it was like one after the other, after the other, four or five folks in the next 24 hours. Man, I saw you working out in the parking lot, brother. Well, the last one was the best one. It's actually one of our, one of our uh, uh, folks that's with us still, Michelle Bergamy. I didn't know her at that time. I'm driving the van the next day. I got a promotion. And, uh, and I put my name tag up. Just I don't know. I guess I saw taxi drivers do that where you got the name tag hanging. I put my name tag up there. I'm driving. And uh, well, it actually happened twice in the van. I'll give you the first one, then I'll give you the Michelle Burgamy. So uh, I'm driving, and this, this young lady sits in the front seat. The van's full, and, and I can see her out of the corner of my eye, and she's doing one of these. Looking at me and looking at my name tag. And I'm like, <laughs> she goes, are you Billy Humphrey? I go, uh-huh. She goes, oh, yeah, I know you. You preached at this conference I went to. And she starts quoting the message back. She goes, it changed my life. Oh, my gosh. What are you doing now? I'm like, well, I'm here training to learn how to do, run a house of prayer. And I'm thinking, she's got to be thinking, so why are you driving a van? I still didn't get it. And then Michelle Bergamy She's in the back of the van. She goes, are you? And I go, I am. She goes, you're supposed to be preaching at my church next weekend. Are you like, she goes something like, do you still do that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be there. It's three weeks later. (laughs) And it's me and Dwayne Roberts. We're in the coffee shop at IHOP in Kansas City. We're talking, sitting there in line talking. And in walks Dave Doria, who's the guy that was running the parking lot ministry. And he comes in, and it's conference time again. And he comes in, and he goes, Billy, Dwayne, oh, so good. And this guy, he's a real Christian, just godly, humble man. Oh, so good to see you guys. He goes, he goes Billy, I got to say something. He goes, you did an awesome job in the parking lot last, last month at the conference. He goes, would you do that again for me? And I already had the plan because I'd already looked at my calendar. I already figured I had a ministry trip coming. I wasn't going to have to be there. I go, oh, Dave, I'd love to, but I can't. I'm going to be out of town. But I go, and I'm just being a stinker at this point. I go, maybe Dwayne wants to. And Dwayne goes, what? And I, and I go, work in the parking lot with Dave. He goes, oh, do you need, some, you need some guys to help? He goes, yeah, I'll help. I was like, oh, my goodness. And he signs Dwayne up. Now, my, at this point, I'd just gotten to know Dwayne. My understanding of who Dwayne is is the guy that preaches at the conference at the end of the year and travels the nation preaching to thousands of people all the time. He signs up and he works several different shifts in that conference in the parking lot. And I thought I had, my point is, I thought I had worn the vest once and got the humility chip and the Lord does the coffee shop with me and Dwayne to let me know. He goes, this isn't something you graduate from, son. This is something you live in. And the Lord ministered to my heart. He said, you think 
that things that you've done for me in the kingdom, that somehow you did them yourself. Because you've never done anything without grace. You've never accomplished anything for me that wasn't my grace. And I go, well, God, I did this and that. He goes, no. Nothing that you've done that matters in the kingdom, nothing came except for by grace. Beloved, I tell you, nothing that matters, everything that matters, it only comes one way, through abiding in the vine and the vine bringing the increase. Our problem is we've, got so, we've become so humanistic, we imagine that somehow our hard work is doing something. Meanwhile, we've got a whole generation that doesn't abide, that does a ton of work, and we have no authority and no power, and ultimately we're fruitless. We have lots of numbers and big events that we put in our newsletters, but where is the kingdom of God? Where's the kingdom come? We're supposed to be seeing kingdom power on the earth. It doesn't come unless we abide. I'm going to have to end there. This isn't just something where we got to get a good message and then just, you know, that was another good message, brother. There has to be a paradigm shift in us. We've got to begin to live differently. I'm not even saying you should pray before you have your planning meeting. I'm saying you need to connect to the vine in an abiding way. Understand that Jesus is saying, stay. Stay with me. And from there, God will, he will give the strategies. He will give the plans. He will give the efforts. He will tell you what to do. And allow him to bring the fruit And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that there's no work, but I'm saying when you work with the grace of God, I tell you, that's when the fruit that comes is fruit that remains. And that's what he's actually trying to get us to get is fruit that remains, not fruit that we show up at the judgment seat. Beloved, this is going to be the reality for many people. They're going to show up at the judgment seat with a lifelong list of of exploits they've done for God. They're going to show up with a barrel of wooden fruit. He's going to go, oh, he's, he's so tender. He's going to, that's a really sweet. Let's see how that remains. It's going to be ash in a minute. Whatever is of kingdom value is born through prayer. There's never been anything of kingdom value that wasn't born through prayer, that didn't come from abiding. He's calling us out of a quiet time, moment with God, to a lifestyle of love and intimacy with God. Calling out of, he's calling us out of visits with God to a continual reality of relationship with God. This is the soil, it's the seedbed for a culture of prayer. It doesn't come another way.
It's not about adding another prayer meeting. Now, you might walk it out in your life where the abiding reality turns into you're going to come to a few more prayer meetings. But most people in a local church, for instance, they would think, well, we're going to have a culture of prayer, so we're going to add two more prayer meetings. Jesus wasn't specifically talking about adding prayer meetings. He was talking about continuous flow and relationship. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide in me. Amen. Okay, let's stand. We'll do the next few verses next week. We need a paradigm shift. I'm after a paradigm shift. A culture change. The most simple way to abide is just to take your thoughts and turn them to conversation with God. Whatever you're thinking on, whatever you're doing, you're doing it with him because you're in him. And he's in you. Change your mode. Flowing with the Lord. I find the more I abide, I'll flow from thinking thoughts to singing songs to I'll bust into tongues I'll just I'll be flowing in prayer continuously and talking in life I'll just be talking I'll be doing what I do communing with God in my in my alone moments I'll be singing and and praying and 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 talking to the Lord and then I'm having conversation with people you can do this and, and I am I'm looking for those days where man it just feels like all day long I'm locked in come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit Teach us to abide. Teach us to abide. (sighs) Teach us to abide. Brush away wrong paradigms and make us think we could actually accomplish something for God without God. Teach us to abide. Let the fruit flow, God, I pray. You take us out of this strained, structured style relationship that's just so programmed that it's, it's choked. Bring us into that, that organic reality of flowing with God. Them that are born again are like the wind. They don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. He is the true vine. You're a branch. You're growing by being connected to him. Flow, Holy Spirit, flow in us. Draw us into love. Draw us into relationship. Draw us in, Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Change our mentalities. Yes, we want times of focused prayer. Many of them. Many times of of long, loving fellowship with only you as, as our direction. But God, through all of our days, day in and day out, that we would abide. Commune. 